Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavyhops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. My name's Sam. This is Umeå Hardcore Part 1. In September 1994, 16-year-old Johannes Persson, a vegan, straight-edge member of the hardcore music scene, found himself at the center of a socio-political movement at its inflection point. Umeå, located eight hours' drive north from Sweden's capital, Stockholm, had recently seen a number of arsons and direct actions aimed at drawing awareness to animal rights and a national political tide turning right. While these acts made headlines nationally, what put Umeå on the global music map was its burgeoning hardcore scene. Johannes joins us to discuss his involvement in this youth-led movement, the courage and confidence DIY ethos imparted, and how it felt as an aspiring musician to walk the same streets as his idols. The breakdown of his relationship with animal rights groups was not pleasant, and Johannes reflects on the challenges of self-definition he and his generation faced as they parted with the movement. Johannes, welcome to Heavy Hops. We're really happy to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. yeah so I guess kind of diving right on in while you're here, um, Umea Hardcore. Uh, for those who don't know where Umea is, can you kind of uh, describe it? What, who lives there? Uh, what was your experience growing up in that kind of uh, environment? Um, I mean... <clears throat> I actually just moved back here. Uh, I've, I've been uh, in exile for 14 years and kind of rediscovered my city. Uh, and it's changed a lot. But I, I don't know if it actually have changed a lot or if it's just like my perspective of the whole thing. Uh, because I, I, I didn't grow, grow up in a city. I grew up... Um, miles outside in a small community uh that and and when you were a kid that was the world i mean that that was where i grew up that every everybody i knew lived there and email was like downtown mm-hmm. uh at that point well it has about um hundred thousand citizens which is the biggest city in northern sweden and the north the northern sweden like we have basically three parts and the two other parts, that's the south of Sweden. And then then you have uh, just above Stockholm, that's considered the north of Sweden. It's, it's weird, but that's how it is. <laughs> um, and it's a university city uh, and uh, has uh, as many uh, academic cities. It's considered very left-wing with like, actually most of northern Sweden has been considered uh, left ish uh, when it comes to politics and 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 uh, political political activism um i didn't know much of that and i didn't didn't know much of that when i grew up because uh basically what i did was play well soccer as you said i went to school hung out with friends uh, that was basically um my life up until well, I mean, I, I uh, 
I had a, a quite a special up, upbringing, though, uh, because my parents, they were uh, part of a, a, a very fringe uh, uh, religious <laughs> Uh, community that that's uh, um, that it hasn't really had this, that much of an impact because I mean it's a very uh, that religion it's called Baha'i it's a per- Persian religion and that's mm-hmm. how I grew up which kind of I mean it it, it definitely um, was uh, I mean it defined me a bit as a person but not much and, and what I'm what I'm reaching at is why I started to, to get into other stuff than my classmate did. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it had nothing to do with that at all. Um, but uh, I got into like heavy metal and, and, and things like that. That was big in the 80s. We're talking uh, Twisted Sister, Guns N' Roses, Poison, Metal Crew, you know, that whole bunch of bands. Um, and also, I don't know if you remember this uh, TV show uh, called Nickelodeon Skate TV. Mm-hmm. It was like <laughs> late, late 80s. That was my introduction to, to skateboarding. And I think skateboarding, for, for, for many many people, that, that's kind of the gateway into the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, that, 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 that was it. I uh, hung out with my friends. As always, you know, you have the fr- a friend that has a cousin that provided us with demos, you know, and, and, and bands you never had heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you always need that that connection. Um, so without, you know, moving ahead too far uh, and, and um, answering question might you might have later uh, <laughs> that, that was basically it for me mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. um so then from receiving those demos was that just you were immediately hooked you just dove right on in the the hardcore scene in umea or was there another little like catalyst point i guess you could yeah, say yeah no um those demos uh that was uh, uh i think it was Garbage Pale Kids, uh, David from Refuse's first band, I think, or maybe not first, but um, no. Uh, the thing, what happened was that I kind of gravitated. I mean, I, you're, you're when you're 11, 12, you're, you're searching for people to hang out, hang out with. Uh, we, uh, we we shouldn't dive into that, but I moved away from the city uh, to another city for one year, and then we moved back. And that was in 93. Um, and that's when kind of the hardcore um, scene in Uni started to explode. And when I, when I moved back and reconnected to my old friends, they kind of already started getting into that scene. Um, and I reconnected with, with another friend that he was not into anything like that before, but um, uh, he kind of, you know, provided me with all this <laughs> essential stuff that I needed to hear, uh, uh, like uh, Inside Out, Gorilla Biscuit, you know, that kind of stuff up front. Um, uh, Earth Crisis, you know, all these 
these bands that started to emerging in 93, 94. Um, you know, but, but, you know, we, 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 we used to skateboard outside of the, the, the local convenience store in that small community. And uh, then we went back to his place and started, he taught me how to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we, we kind of had this, uh, this misfit group uh, of people in a school starting wearing baggy pants and, you know, the whole, the whole <laughs> uniform. Um, <laughs> and, but, but still, uh, we were still living out, outside and I didn't really have any other friends in the scene up until I started in high school and, and went to uh, into a school uh, in the city. Uh, up until that point, it was, um, you know, like I said, my world was that small, small community outside. And you, you started to know people in the scene by name, you know, Dennis, you know, he's the most known guy, of course, you knew refused. And the pump the brakes had come out. Um, uh, I actually remember uh, in the school bus, somebody uh, uh, borrowed me at the This is the New Deal mini CD as they released <laughs> that, that format at the time. And I remember like um, looking through the booklet and, and they have this, I think it, they had this uh, stage diving guy and I was very intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. I hadn't gone to any shows. I would just listen to the music, skateboarding, and you know, go, going into the city was that was a big deal. And 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 it was, um, uh, but it wasn't until I was fourteen that I started to, you know, convince my dad to drive me into town to to start going to shows. And then we actually moved in the city, and and, uh, and I could start going to shows pretty frequently. And uh, I think when I when I started high school and got to know these people that you only knew by name, which was a big deal. I mean, you you, you basically got starstruck by people just playing in local bands. And I was a guitar player, and uh, there was uh, you know in in the kind of scene where everybody when they have a problem with inbreeding, everybody's playing in everybody's band, and all of a sudden there's a new guitar player in town. And I got to play in this uh, horrible old school hardcore band. Uh, that was my introduction to, you know, playing in bands. <laughs> and we record. We, we, we were called uh, Revive. I recorded one demo, pro probably the worst demo ever recorded. Period. <laughs> I, 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 look, look, and I, uh, I know a lot of people say that their first demo is the worst this is online you can listen to it i all that's all i'm gonna say it, 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 it it's it technically i think technically the worst recorded demo that ever saw the light of dale they it's called revive uh, in defense of the edge in defense of the edge yeah band camper i think it's called you know the, the account swedish hardcore culture uh-huh mm -hmm. uh, yeah I think I think they, they they have it on their Bandcamp or SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we'll definitely have to definitely have to take a listen <laughs> <Yeah>. to it. <laughs> but, that, but that was my introduction to 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 to, to being on stage. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 
I played my first show in 95. And at that point, I mean, there's, oh, I warned you about the kids now. <laughs> and now you have the cats. Yeah. Oh, yes. now you've got the cats. <laughs> Every time I sit at the computer and work, she's always there and bugging me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, we're all cat people here, so no worries. <laughs> I had to lock mine out. They're little terrorists. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of terrorists and, 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 and uh, animals, um, I also got, I mean, pretty early on, I was very, uh, and that actually might be connected to my background with my parents um, that uh, I grew up in this religion. I was never religious myself. Um, but the 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 politics intrigued me as well as the music mm -hmm. um i think we did our our first direct action when i was in eighth grade and we stapled a bunch of animal liberation uh posters on some meat commercials <laughs> on the uh like um on the local store like advertisement for for, for meat products and that was uh uh posters that we had copied on the the school copying machine mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah uh, and, but but i i think um one defining moment and this is something that i've actually uh i have a project right now that, that i'm doing um i've interviewed the people because there were, there were a bunch of, I mean, serious, and if you look at it in re retrospect, some serious like terror, um, terror acts um, or sabotages or whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, if you want to define a terrorist act like something, you, know, you do a violent act in, in order to, to form a response or, or, or damage something. I mean, that's terrorism by mm -hmm. definition. And there was actually one thing that happened in 94, just, just before I got it. Like I, I started to get interested in the whole vegetarianism thing and animal rights thing. And on September 24th, 1994, there were three uh, trucks that got, um, well, they burned them down basically. Mm -hmm. And that got huge media coverage not not only in in the local area but nationwide um i mean there was like uh three four hundred thousand dollars worth of damage i mean it was some serious business oh, wow. yeah uh, -huh. uh and i mean there, there were some 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 actions like that before but not in this magnitude mm -hmm. um, I actually myself, I've, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm doing a product, uh, a project now. We'll see how it ends. I've interviewed the people that actually were part of that, mm. uh, and 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 and, and talk with them and and, and try to, to get as much information as possible because that act might be, as far as I mean, anyone that knows Swedish history can can can. Um, might dispute me, but I think it might be the most successful terrorist act in Sweden when it mm -hmm. comes to 
if your goal is to bring uh, an issue on the table, if your goal is to get your, well, um, the issue that you're fighting for in the public discussion on the debate, I can't think of any other uh, single act that actually have had a bigger impact in Sweden ever. And when it comes down to it, that was a bunch of 15, 16, 70 year old kids that just did something because they were angry. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't like no big plan or big conspiracy. It was just a bunch of kids just, you know, doing something on, on without much planning or anything like that. Um, just wanted to destroy basically. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And, 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 and but, I mean, for me, it worked. I mean, you can think whatever you like about the, the, the act in itself, but for me, I, I've thought about that sometimes. Well, if I, because that kind of, I see that as a, like, a very defined moment there was a before and after and when this issue started to get this much attention and i was 14 year old i was in the starting blocks of rebelling uh it it definitely definitely uh made me gravitate more towards the political aspect of of the scene and, mm -hmm. and, and and I think what separated me from a lot of other people was that I, I started to read, like I started to read uh, like Peter Singer, you know, all these, you know, Adam Liberation, you know, the, the, <laughs> the books that you should read um, the, the, uh, and started to um, try out my wings when it came to debating people about animal rights, because there was, I mean, there was a lot of tension in the city about, you know, vegans and like not as much as now but this is something completely different than than in in my hometown and uh when i finally then moved into the city and went to high school i, I mean i hope i i remember the numbers right but the high school i was going to i think two-thirds was vegetarian one-third was vegan yeah that is awesome. Yeah, those are huge <laughs> yeah. numbers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it wasn't I mean, maybe five hundred students or something like that. And what what you need to 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 uh, sometimes when I speak to my friends from from back then and talked about this, I mean, uh, you only have one life, and you grow up. And you think this is normal? No, this is not. This, we live in a very special moment in time. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're only talking about the political aspect and then we, we can go back to the actual like musical scene and how vibrant that was. It's, it's uh, some, it's a very, very special moment in musical history when it comes to Sweden and maybe even the world. There's a lot of amazing bands that spawn out of that period that still are uh, and musicians, for that matter, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's still doing it to, today. Yeah. Uh, kind of taking it 
back just a little bit towards uh, the vegan vegetarian movement, would you kind of say that the truck burning incident was where Sweden as a whole took their attention to vegetarian and veganism? Or was there another point that brought the attention to the public? This is my layman opinion. <laughs> I, just say, I mean, I haven't uh, studied it in uh, as well as I sh maybe should, but that's that's how I perceive it. Definitely, mm -hmm. there were some uh, media coverage of the scene just just before, but this kind of this started the snowball just rolling down the hill. It became bigger and bigger and bigger. And after that that uh, attack, there was a, I think we had. For a couple of years, uh, we had about 200 animal rights uh, direct actions, crimes every year. Uh, I mean, that's one every more than every second day. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and the craziest thing about this is that um, people the kids, I mean, people, the, the, as I said, it was, this was mostly done by people under 18 mm -hmm. and people kept their mouth shut. Like I didn't, I didn't know for sure who was, we all knew, we all knew mm -hmm. who most likely were behind these uh, activities. And I also, um became well it it kind of by a coincidence i started the same class as one of the most um active militant animal rights activists in um in the whole scene and but still people kept their mouth shut mm -hmm. um and I mean, you know, you, you can talk about knowing and knowing. I mean, I, I, it wasn't like anyone told me I did this. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you can see by if something happened during the weekend, and you met the guy on Monday, you know, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's quite still still quite hard to talk about because I don't want to point any fingers to anyone and um, but I started I started playing in a band with people that most likely were a big part of of this militant scene and I uh, started in going well, to actually uh, more or less official uh, uh, organizations that started because you had the the militant part that was it wasn't organized as a, an organization. It was you know just a network of people, and then you had these organized uh, uh, groups that started with basically the same kind of people, but with other means. I mean, they did more like, uh, 
uh, what is it called? Um, well, demonstration, for example, and, and you know, um, leaflets and, and uh, pamphlets and, and stuff like that. Um, and some some direct actions that maybe weren't violent, but you know, blockade, blo blockades and, 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 and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and those groups, I found myself in. And I also found myself in situations that I wasn't really, really uh, um, uh, comfortable with. Um, I mean, I, I, I've never, I, I, for some reason, I don't know, I've been a loudmouth since I was a kid. <laughs> and so for some reason, I was one, one of the people that when something happened that media turned to. So when I was 16, um, I did some horrible performances in like national debate programs and, and stuff, stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, now uh, with 30, no, 25 years um, of hindsight, I mean, how responsible is it of a producer to put a 16 year old in front of a camera and ask him to justify these kind of action. It's, it's like, it's not responsible. I, I, I don't think it's responsible for, for, for now when actually I've, I've been working in that, in that business myself, um, I would never, take a 16 year old in front of a camera uh, for live national television and, and put him on the spot like that because I did a horrible job. Yeah. I had a question about the larger political backdrop of the time too. Um, when we, uh, outside of Sweden, we think of uh, our limited understanding of Swedish political history, it tends to be um, if you if you even know about political parties in Sweden, you know of uh, social democrats uh, being uh, predominantly in charge of all policy or being popular through the through the seventies and into the eighties. Was there uh, anything that occurred in the nineties that may have been uh, a part of the larger? Uh, political climate that may have impacted some of this uh, some of these uh, people towards direct action outside of them being youths um, and being passionate about what they're passionate about. You might be onto something there. Uh, I mean, up until the seventies, uh, the social democrats basically had fifty percent of all the votes in every election. It was uh, uh, th they were running the show up until the seventies, and then you have. Uh, 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 some uh, economic crisis. Well, we shouldn't get into to the Swedish politics in too much details. Anyway, in the early nineties, uh, you had uh, um, kind of a breakdown in the political and economic uh, system. So, first of all, we had this um, new party uh, that was. It was insane. I can't even, it, it was an old count. I mean, we, we're, we're talking about aristocracy, like an old count. And uh, the Swedish equivalent 
to country music record label director. Like it's not country, but it's our version of like um, uh, that formed a party with clowns, basically. Uh, very anti-immigrant. Uh, they uh, they kind of collected the most insane people in politics and um, got into the parliament. I mean, there were some, if you look at it now, like now we have the, uh, a very right-wing party in, in the parliament that had almost 20%. And they're semi-fascist too, but they, they are politicians. These people are clowns, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the early 90s, we also had a big uh, uh, surge of, 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 of um, national socialists, socialists as in Nazi skins. We didn't have a problem with that up here, but in Stockholm, uh, there were huge demonstrations um, uh, on November 30th, an old king died, like this old, um, uh, uh, like the warrior king of Sweden uh, died on that date. So it kind of was a, some sort of a celebration. Um, so there, and they did a lot of stuff too. Which means that we got, you know, I got a lot of questions at, at that time if there were, if there were any, um, you know, uh, aren't you the same as the Nazis? You know, it was kind of two completely different political ideologies, but using pretty much the same uh, uh, measures, even though the Nazis were way more violent and, and they actually killed a bunch of people um uh, a famous union leader for example and i mean they, they were violent for real i mean there was you know well you know nazi history you know how it goes right mm-hmm. so yeah but there must have been something during the 90s that m- must have sp- I, I i i can't define it i haven't put that much thought into it but um some it was something in the air for sure. Do you, uh, how familiar are you with the, um, the Grecian group? Uh, I think it's called Golden Dawn. They were like that super far right fascist movement in Greece. Yeah, I think they were all over Europe, if I'm not incorrect. No? Okay. Well, and, 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 and the Golden Dawn, that was way later, later. That was mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. I, I know they had a big research. They had a big outburst in Greece in like 2010, 11, somewhere around right. there. But they've been, from what I know of, because I did some studying on them, they were around even in the 80s and 90s. And so mm-hmm. I'm just like very underground, obviously. But I'm just curious if, you know, how much of that kind of permeated the. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, these kind of organizations that has always been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I can tell you that um, there weren't any Nazis in it because uh, <laughs> every time, there, but there were other uh, cities around um, that had some Nazi skins, and and this is it's the city um, Shreleftio that's about two hours up north, mm-hmm. um, 
were the worst of Nazi skins. And every year, and they still have this amazing free festival up there. So a lot of bands play there and you went there every now and then. And we went down Nazi hunting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there weren't many. Um, and I, I remember one night there was a rumor that there was 30 Nazis on their way up to Umeå from another city. And the, the town square was full of people waiting for them. Whether or not that those 30 Nazis were on their way or not, I had no idea because no one showed up. Instead, <laughs> yes, instead, people started fighting with the cops instead. Uh, Naturally. And that's how it, yeah, exactly. That's how it goes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it never got any foothold in Umeå. Never. Not as far as I'm aware of. I mean, there might have been one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I mean, look, if you have a, 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 a population of 100,000, there's at least one Nazi in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was another thing that I wanted to ask about is, did you see the same type of um, political interest um, and the an- interest in animal rights in other parts of uh, northern Sweden, like Lulia or Pitea or other uh, sizable, relatively sizable cities. Yeah, there were some. I mean, as I said, the, the, the neighboring town Schleftio, that that's the scene that I, I I don't know it in detail, but I know a lot of people. I, later on, I started playing the band I still play in with people from that from that hardcore scene. And there was there were some uh, direct actions there too uh, at the local meat factory and and and, and other places up in Lulio too, um, but it wasn't it wasn't as big as Numeo. I mean, people that's the thing when the media started covering this, and the people that was behind these attacks got a great payoff by doing it. I mean, like I said, it was a snowball rolling. And there was a lot of people from different parts of Sweden that moved to Umeå just for that, for the, like, the more of the political scene. And, and we're, right now we are, I think uh, in the chronology, we're probably 95, 96. And the further we move forward, the political aspect changed. I mean, animal rights was always there. Um, but the problem is when you have kids or people that <laughs> are not adults in their minds, is that um, when you define yourself by your opinions, um, there's a tendency to form the in and out group. Uh, I mean, it's just a, a, a tradition of you know being in a cult basically that and i mean i, I was very much um, guilty of that too to a certain extent um i mean you, you had the, you were straight edge all your friends were straight edge that's what defined you but then you were straight edge and you were vegan and that defined you and even though you had friends that was vegetarian and you didn't really approve of that yeah i mean there were some you know um Still, you you define yourself as vegan straight edge, and then you had later on other 
more or less, I mean, somebody found um, uh, um, anarchist thinker and everybody needed to read that. And much later on, you get, you know, the, the, the circle gets smaller and smaller. You define yourself without defining the boundaries of who you're not. Um, mm -hmm. um, and, and then you have a certain form of uh, political extremism mixed with feminism. And now we would jump maybe four years ahead and like certain groups starting to, to, to define themselves to a smaller and smaller and smaller um, set of, of opinions, which started a lot of tension um, within the larger scene. And, and at that point, I'm not, I'm not even sure if you can define it as a scene because the music aspect of the whole thing got smaller and smaller and it was just a bunch of, it was like a big network like a tree of different branches and the problem is when when people and the group becomes too small it sooner or later they will implode mm -hmm. and that was happened and then everything and, and that, that's pretty much when i from now we are maybe in 2000 somewhere and that's where i kind of lost track of everything for mm -hmm. certain reasons um and that's where maybe mark can fill in and you know start <laughs> talking about what happened afterwards but um yeah it was uh, uh quite sad because you know it's like you were friends one day and the other day you were enemies mm -hmm. um so yeah, it was weird, and and uh, we can go into to to details, of course, what happened to me and what happened to other people, um, but it was a very. Nowadays, it's, it's very you know it was basically a cancel culture, uh, on a small scale, uh, in some aspects, mm -hmm. and somebody did something that everybody needs to know, and then that person was out. That and then something other, something different happened. It could be a small thing. That person's out, um, and all of a sudden you're left with very few friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you know part of it too, as you said, could just also be correlated to um, you know getting older and realizing more where your true values lie and. You know, if people start going this way and others go that way, it's like when you graduate high school, you don't necessarily keep in touch with everyone. And that's just a part of getting older and, you know, your values definitely change. I, I think, um, yeah, you're right. However, I think when you are in that age, 19 18 19 20 that's when you're like you're as most dangerous because uh, if you combine that to a very binary view of the world right or wrong i found the truth you're wrong i mean and and and, and you're unable to to see grayscale and and i was it's hard to, to view myself from the outside 20 years after. Um, uh, but I think my ability to see the grayscales of the world didn't come 
until a few later years later um, maybe I was 23 24 25 mm -hmm. and I and this is might be um, something that uh, a lot of people don't like to hear but one of the best things I ever did was calling myself straight edge for many reasons but also one of the best things I ever did was started drinking to, to, to leave that label behind, like, um, and, and finding my own way of dealing with the world. The problem was though, because I like, I hung out with the most violent vegan activists and you know the american saying empty barrels barrels make more noise mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, when they left the drug-free aspect of their life and when they left the um, vegan part of it or animal rights it ended up with just being a local thug doing heroin and so a lot of my friends started doing really heavy drugs. I was still friends with them though. Um, so maybe I had, well, some sense of grayscale at that point. And they, they were still good friends of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where the kind of straight edge part, the, the, the binary um, view of what I thought was right or wrong was good for me. Because I never, I never passed that that line of, of doing anything. Because when I when I started drinking, I, I kind of moved on to to other groups of people. But at that point, I, I could still hang out with them, not do drugs, but hang out with people. Just you know, basically, uh, well, destroying themselves and other mm -hmm. people. Uh, for and and many of them are not around today. Uh, some of them have have, have uh, really made the rebound and 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 and, and uh, become well-adjusted <laughs> citizens. But but for most of them, there was was not a, a, a good period. Well, it wasn't a good period for anyone, but um, ended very well for a few of them. Very, very, very bad for a few of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to tie a uh, a little bow on the political discussion, but definitely talk about music as well. And that was the uh, protests in Gothenburg around the G8 summit and uh, all the fun stuff that occurred then. Um, and I wanted to ask if you feel as though that was kind of if. Umail was involved in that in some way. Um, and if that was an ultimate expression of a lot of groups coming together and Umail becoming more on the map. Um, there are some connections, which I can tell you about, but, but not in a general way at all. Um, there were not many people from the hardcore scene that I know of that was down in Gothenburg, but I was. Um, at that point in 2000, 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I had I had start I had start touring with a band I was playing with at at the time, a very left wing band uh, with a very bad band name, Plastic Pride. <laughs> 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 Uh, that, I, I, that was not, uh, I wasn't to blame for that bad name. And there was like that band I got into very late. Um, Responsibility uh, but, absolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and sounded a bit, it wasn't that bad though. It sounded a bit like, like a quicksand meets helmet, meet Radiohead. But anyway, uh, so, so that's when, when, when I started doing uh, like some real, touring outside of Sweden, you know, playing squats and, and just doing, uh, uh, we talked about the pre-internet, pre-TikTok world. Uh, internet was around, but you had to um, book the shows yourself, have the phone number to a Spanish guy that hopefully would meet up at uh, the time you had agreed on at the gas station and he would help you, you know, go into that small Spanish town and, you know, uh, guide us to the venue slash occupied farm slash <laughs> whatever, wherever you were supposed to play. And hopefully you get paid afterwards. Anyway, so, so, so this was just before we went on tour and I went down to Gothenburg and, uh, it was not a pretty sight. It was, it was, it's hard to explain because it, it's a situation where you, if you weren't there, it's hard to explain the atmosphere. There were some people from Umeå there, apart from us. Um, one of the one of the people that was most active in the animal rights. Um, actions up in Umeå. Uh, that was the last time I saw him uh, where he almost killed two police officers. Uh, it was a really, yeah, it was a really weird sight because they had, um, they had put a, a bunch of containers around the school uh, to keep people out and keep people in. And there were two police officers uh, walking. I mean, we're talking maybe 10 feet over, over ground on those containers. And even though he had a, a ski mask on, I knew this guy and he was climbing up on one of these containers and we're charging them with a, like an umbrella or something like that. And I th- this is my interpretation. I think he realized when he was running towards them that they don't see me because he came from the back of them. And that he realized if I, like, if I push these guys down these containers, I mean, they are going to be seriously injured and, you know, the prison time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, so he, he kind of slowed down until he, he made sure, sure that they saw him and they started going at him, of course, and he jumped down and ran off. Um, and that whole situation during those two days, um, or three days, I don't really remember. It was so weird. It was the first time in, I can't remember how many years that the police actually shot a guy. 
you know, demonstrations. It was the first time since 1923, maybe. Um, and there were talk about, even though we didn't know at that time it's illegal for the military to, to, uh, to step in, um, uh, but it was talk about people that had seen militaries there and um, I was, I wasn't arrested, but I, I was apprehended by, by the police because they can apprehend you for six hours uh, if they suspect that you will be a part of an illegal act. Uh, so they put me in handcuffs and they, and, and that's, that's the problem. You need to realize that everything felt like it was possible at the time. And they drove me to this like horse stable outside of the city. And when I walked off, I heard people screaming inside. And I thought they were like seriously torturing people. It was, it was that weird. Uh, <laughs> and then they took a mug shot of me and they got me in this big hall where it had like this just bunch of cages that I had threw, thrown people inside. And they threw me in one of those cages and I realized that the scream, it was a bunch of German activists or anarchists or whatever. They had put a net across the cage. Uh, uh, they, they, they just tied a bunch of clothes together and made a net and they played volleyball with a, with a ball made of tape. And that, that when you scream, that was, when they scored or whatever. So it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but, um, but for, for me, what happened in Gothenburg, that was just when basically the whole, it has nothing to do with Umia Hardcore, nothing. At, at least that's my, how, how I see it. Uh, but that's, that's kind of a defining moment too, at where the scene felt like it died in 2000 where people were never interested in politics they went into politics and like you said a lot of people just grew up went mm -hmm. to the university or just starting a, a, a regular job you know people starting getting kids stuff like that um and i was still interested in what what made me gravitate to uh, the scene the music Mm -hmm. That was that was still where my interest, my main interest, interest was, and that's why 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 I continued. And, 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 and I mean, of course, there were some shows every now and then, um, but not in the magnitude, um, like in the mid '90s, where you can get well, we were hundreds of, hundreds of kids every weekend, almost every weekend, um, at least. Uh, going to shows and I mean um, I, I just I can't see that happening now I mean there was kids in this small city gathering every weekend and and uh, it was yeah, it was special for sure and then and, and, and I mean uh, during these years like 93 to 98 you you got to see the superstars of the hardcore scene: Snapcase, Strife, Earth Crisis, uh, Biohazard, you know, uh, One Hundred Eight, 
shelter. Um, they all came to this. Uh, I mean, even now, if we would have, uh, like with my band, if we would have done a European tour, not coming from Sweden, you know, just going up to Umeå and going down again, it doesn't make any sense. Like eight hours <laughs> from Stockholm and down again. It would, it would be, like, I think we would have skipped on that. That city. Uh Um, Let let. Oh, sorry. Um, Let's go back to that place. So, do you think that the international exposure and having all these bands coming up to Umeå helped accelerate what was happening on the ground? Um, And and did it? uh, Yeah, we'll start there. Yeah, for sure. It's. Uh, now, when you have some perspective of the whole thing, it's, I mean, it's, uh, these bands are not superstars in any sense or shape of the <laughs> but it, but they were, mm-hmm. for me, that was my Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. I mean, me, Johannes, 15 years old, um, Seeing, I, I actually just found uh, footage from probably the best concert experience I've had in my entire life. I mean, now I've been to better shows, of course, but at that moment in time for me, seeing Earth Crisis in 96 after they, they released Destroy the Machines at my, uh, at my school with, it was packed i don't even know how many people were five six hundred it was the craziest show i ever like that you get older and you just get more boring and every even though you love the band you're watching it's not as special as when you see something you love for the first time when you're 15 16 years old there's nothing that can, can compare to that Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like the, the, the local bands like seeing Abenanda for example I mean they, they were huge for me they were rock stars they were just playing in a local I mean punk band <laughs> <Arkham Pass. laughs> uh, but for me uh, at that point um, I think uh one thing that I, I, I think is a misconception is that uh, refuse was super important. I, like, I know that Dennis and, and, and David and what they did, like the first generation, was super important for the scene. But for the people I hung out with and the people that, um, that I was playing with, I mean, Refuse didn't play in Umeå that often. It was all these like big local bands that was way more important mm-hmm. um, that you saw on the, you know, the, the um, in different small stages all around um, the city. Um, Beyond Hay, for example, or, or um, um, yeah, Abinanda, I mean, they were big, but refused and also like Donuts, like Donuts, probably, in my opinion, the the most underrated band from Umeå ever. I mean, they, 
Sara, the 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 main writer. I mean, she was good. She was good, even like ninety three, ninety four, and and but um, what they brought was, uh, I mean, they were on tour. They toured through Europe. They did U.S. tours. So it wasn't an unreachable goal. That was just a part of how you were doing as a band. You started a band and you started touring. That was normal. You booked your own, your own tours. That was normal. And then you go went out playing Europe. That was not like they, that was the, their biggest part in my, like, um, my life growing up as a, a musician in Umeå that this was um, a very like, possible way of how things would turn out. You would play shows in other, other cities. And when you see people from other scenes, you know, playing heavy metal or whatever, that don't have those role models, um, I just think it was very good thing to have and yeah uh, speaking of that my first show i ever did that with that sucky band revive uh i was 15 years i walked off stage and dennis told me great show that was so important to get recognition from somebody that he respected mm -hmm. and like i said he was a superstar back then mm -hmm. um but in, in the day-to-day -day life in Umeå <laughs> Hardcore in 95, there was a whole bunch of other bands that was more important when it comes to to the the local shows that kind of held the, the scene together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, it's, and it sounds like there was a lot of local infrastructure to support the scene as well as far as different places you could play um having support from the study circles to uh to have uh subsidized costs for rental of studio places and or rehearsal places and things like that um what uh what to you were some of the important factors that supported the musicians to be quite honest like, i i i know what you're talking about i just haven't experienced it uh mm -hmm. for me it was uh um i think the, the the most important factor is, is what you said about there was a lot of different places to play you can basically have a tour in umeo because there was all, <laughs> all these youth centers that now they've shut down um mm -hmm. but you could play in um all of them which is a, a part of the city and you could play in uh, atena it's a youth center in, in Eshboda. you know it's just a different part of the city um uh, and then you had the main youth center in, in uh, that was uh, called the Galaxian, where all the big bands played and all that. Um, but it just made it more vibrant, like more more interesting than if you would have only had one place. But there was a lot of youth centers um, where you could play um, and where you could rehearse, where you could practice. Um, that's when I got into music. Uh, when in my small community where I grew up, we were hanging out in the youth center there and my friend that was in the hardcore scene and played guitar. And we were so sick of 
the band practicing only playing Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, so we said, like, we, we to told the the, the, the the leader of that center, like, look, we, we, we need to get in there. We need to get in there and, and, and have some studio time. We mostly just take studio time from them. Mm -hmm. But that's when, <laughs> yeah, that's when he taught me how to play Burning Fight from inside out and the rest is history, basically. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that was a big part of it. Uh, then you have the, those study circles um, that I haven't been involved in that much. But, you know, we, you could borrow equipment from, from all these centers. Um, and yeah, but I don't know. There was a lot of, or still is a lot of cities that had, had this infrastructure still and you don't i mean they were not a bad thing to have but i i don't think it's that it's that big of a have that big of an important role it's at least not for me mm -hmm. yeah uh, um it, it makes sense that the community center would be an awesome place to perform and that it would support a uh yeah, the vibrancy of, of not just youth music, but also youth culture and youth politics as well, too, in some way, if there's a link between uh, the musical impetus and the political side, which seems was most uh, was most relevant in Umeå. So with, uh, with bands like Donuts uh, and Refused being able to play abroad, uh, and did you see that as an opportunity for you to say okay i'm gonna try to i'm gonna continue to pursue my ambitions as a musical uh as a person playing music because you see people that live around you being able to do it exactly exactly i didn't know how to though all i knew that it was a possibility if you were good enough if you got the recognition you it might happen and we had this, uh, I mean, Jose from uh, Abinanda and Dennis had this uh, record label, The Desperate Five. And that was that was my goal, to get signed by Desperate Five. Uh, and you knew, like, the next step, may, maybe, Victor, maybe, if, if you were really, really good enough. Because Donut had made it there, uh, refused release record there. That's still a goal I haven't achieved yet. Um, Jose, yeah, he was interested in, in, in uh, band I was in called Eclipse. Later, or down the road, became Cult of Luna. But yeah, uh, but that was in the late '90s when when everything was in decline, uh, especially Desperate uh, Fight. But yeah, just having a record label there, um, having bands that was out touring. Um, you know, people that toured with them came back with CDs and and records and and and, and T-shirts with bands that you um, never heard, had heard of, um, and also, you know, I mean, it was just a connection to the world. I mean, we're in a far off corner in, in in the north of Sweden, but still, it felt like the world was reachable mm -hmm. and I, I i if there's anything that 
you know most important when it came to to, to um yeah that was refused that that was that that it it was a it was not unreachable to do all these things actually that was how things work you play music and you do, do and then you go out on tour mm-hmm. and i would never have thought of that myself of course so. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um absolutely i think uh are we cool to uh fast forward or i guess I mean, it's all kind um, of why did, yeah. Why you did know, you? Like, no, actually, <laughs> I now I want to know more than anything. Why? Why did you leave Vumiel? Mm-hmm. Um, I left in '96. Um, no, 2006. <laughs> Hard to keep track of all these decades. Uh, in 2006, I, I left. Uh, because I, at that point, you know, I was 26. You realize you're not, you're not a kid anymore. And you see, and what I had been doing up until that point was basically my life. Like things have started moving with my band at that point. We uh, had made like three, four records, and my life was basically uh, circulating around. Recording records, doing tours, and having shit jobs in between. And I mean, the band never made enough money, you know, to to be able to live off of it. Um, I didn't have to starve uh, when we were on tour, but uh, you saw people around. Well, I saw people around me, you know, getting a normal life. Um, getting a, a, a good job, an education, and, but like, <laughs> and I, I just felt like I needed to, to get away from the city, just to see something completely different, uh, which was well, completely different. I moved to Oslo in Norway. I had like a bunch of friends that, that were living there and it kind of, I just, needed to get away from from this or else i would still be doing the same thing nothing had happened like i would still be doing tour working four five months doing like hating my life and then getting these small sparks of what i actually wanted to do which was music mm-hmm. i could i i, I try to go to university straight out after um uh, high school, I managed like one and a half, two years, but the touring got in between because that was what I loved to do. And it kind of, you know, I was just not doing anything valuable with my time. Um, so that's where I moved away from the city to get away from this circle of shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and Ironically, or not, maybe ironically, but that's when I kind of decided what I wanted to do with my life, and 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 started start, moved to Gothenburg and studied film and television, and then I moved to Stockholm like everybody else, and worked with media for twelve years. Uh, um, so, but like I love playing music; that's where my passion is, and I've been able to keep keep doing it with people um, 
from Umeå and we kind of scattered throughout the country and outside of the country actually. Uh, but now we're kind of, now I'm back home again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I realized that Umeå is a very good city when it comes to raising kids. And that's one thing that happens. I, I, I moved to Stockholm for one reason. That's basically my career. I wanted to, to, to work in, with films, with the film industry, which I still do. And the line of work that I have actually makes it possible for me to live in Umeå and work in Stockholm. And like, I don't want my kids to grow up there. Uh, Umeå is a very good place to grow up uh, for them. So that's why we moved up here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've uh, got your cat completely sedated. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. She's, uh, I've never seen a cat this loyal. She actually, um, she's up in, in my um, girlfriend's face all the time. So I'm, she's happy that, that, that she's here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but when, when, uh, when it comes to the animal rights aspect of, of this whole thing, I mean, it's, it's it's still, and and the implosion of the scene too, from my perspective. I mean, there's so many things that happened. Um, like sometimes I need to, uh, well, sooner or later, I just have to write it down because there, there were so many weird things um, uh, that happened and people, acting very weirdly it's not a, a good enough word but you know it, you know it became the battle of the political cults yeah. it was it, yeah it was it was not a good it was not a, a good uh, atmosphere at all and uh my breakdown with with the people and the group I hung out with, um, be, was very harsh because I, I actually got arrested for something I didn't do. It was one of the leaders from from, well, one of the leading characters in one of the groups, and I got, I got sentenced for it, uh, even though I was hundred percent. And still today, I, I can say I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind admitting anything today. 20 years later, but I, it wasn't me. Uh, and, and, um, it, you know, it, what was, the tension was very thick in our relationship because they obviously, I, I wouldn't say they felt bad about it, but they, there were some kind of, I mean, if, your friends getting caught for something you did, there's an imbalance in your relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, one night, I, as an 18 year old, called uh, a girl, a chick, all the Swedish equivalent to a chick, uh, a slandering term, some people might think. And the day after, there were this show uh, that I, for some reason, didn't go to. And later that night, a friend, a friend called me and said that these people are handing out flyers, like uh, 
a paper with small, small text describing what happened the night before and basically called me a misogynist or something like that. You know? uh, and it was just a, a way to, to get rid of me and get me out of the equation uh, and that kind of situation. Uh, and it was not that big of a deal at all, but you know, just imagine, imagining just getting a, a, a pamphlet with your name on it being a representative <laughs> that, I mean, that, uh, that for once wasn't true, uh, apart from me calling somebody a chick, uh, uh, which, I mean, was not good at all, but uh, I was 18 years old uh, and stupid. I was stupid. I'm still stupid. <laughs> so it's an aspect, but, but maybe a little bit more respectful nowadays. But I mean, th that was, it, it, it's really a weird thing to do, but, but it wasn't weird at the time because it, things like that happened all the time. People got canceled. And I, I wouldn't say that I got canceled, but I got chunked out of that small, small group, French group. And I, and I think if you ask other people, or actually other people have said to me that that pamphlet about me, that was their, um, re, that's when they got, realized that, okay, everything is going straight to hell now. I'm out. This is going too far. Um, and, but there was a lot of, of things like that. I. And I kind of, it, it was also a relief for me to just don't have to, I didn't have to deal with these people anymore. Um, and I, I don't even know what happened to half of them. Mm -hmm. no, they just disappeared. Hmm. It was, yeah, that, that was a weird time in a negative way. But it was also a special time before that, a very positive way too. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, no, it, uh, I wanted to ask about uh, the kind of connections that, if they existed in the between like a feminist movement in the '90s and the hardcore movement, or these. Yeah, other like social and political movements that were going on in Numeo at the time. Did where did feminism fit in this, or is it part of a different current? I mean, I mean, in some aspects, uh, when I when I said the the political extreme feminists. What I'm talking about, I'm trying to put a name on a certain group of people. Uh, but the spirit of feminism, I mean, I, I, and I think it would be better if you actually talk to, <laughs> to a girl in the uh, scene about that. But uh, my experience is that uh, those ideas, I mean, the, the, that was a um, without me being in the hardcore scene, I might not have been exposed to these ideas at all. Because as far as I remember, and I might remember incorrectly, uh, um, the thought of, 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 of women being in the scene or in, in the 
pit or else, and 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 it, 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 it was a part of the package as far as i remember uh, and then how those ideas formed in theoretical terms uh, and became a topic of discussion of how uh, women were viewed in, in society in general, but also within the scene, uh, was very vibrant. I mean, you can think one example is that in the beginning, Hare Krishna was kind of, you know, with shelter in, in 94, Hare Krishna, they even, they saw an opening in Yermio. So they opened up a Govinda uh, 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 restaurant in here, trying to lure some, uh, some individual might have gone a bit too far with that. But very early on, uh, the kind of anti-feminist uh, ideology that's behind that totalitarian uh, mindset um, got, I mean, they got uh, hammered just because of their view of, 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 of the different uh, roles of the sexes. Um, uh, that was pretty early on, actually. So I, I think that also might have been uh, something that has been inherited from the, the left, um, left wing uh, ideology that, 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 that's been a part of Umeå for for, for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, Umeå, what was a special place when it come to, to, I mean, I, I've, I've only grown up in Umeå, so I don't know about other scenes, but I know that, you know, the, the gay positive atmosphere and, and um, uh, the kind of non-conservative, view of the music kind of went hand in hand. If, I mean, if you look, because I, I definitely think there's there's a connection between, uh, there's a few scenes where what's hardcore and what's not hardcore, it's very well-defined. I mean, that's a conservative mm -hmm. view of how music should be. Um, but in Umeå, listen to Straits of Fuck 1, 2, and 3. And you can see how bands are just branching out to mm -hmm. think and how how the atmosphere at that point was very, people were, were encouraging others to go there in their direction. Uh, and I think there is a connection between that kind of open mind set to music influences as well as political influences. But I, I might be totally wrong. Like this is how, how I remember it. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that the scene was gay friendly. I don't know. There might be some people that were uh, gay and didn't feel welcome at all. Uh, I'm not. I'm a white heterosexual male, and and my experience is is definitely um, filtered through my eyes. But that's how um, I um, uh, how I see it. But I I can also see it from the contrast of my friends that were not in the hardcore scene. I had well, a few of my uh, my best friends at that time were girls, uh, and just having female friends that's was not 
um, something that was very common with like the people that I grew up with. I mean, the hockey jocks and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of well integrated in like the general um, atmosphere in the scene. Um, so yeah, that's probably the long answer to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's the point. I had a lot of good female friends, and I know my the people I grew up with. Um, in, yeah, in Reykjavik, that small community where I grew up, didn't have it, have that platonic relationship with females. Mm-hmm. And and that says I don't know what it says, but it says something. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it, too, is that mutual connection of something, you know, you're all revolving and gathering around one thing that you have in common. So there's an immediate connection that you can start to form. Um, I I think, at least in my experience in Chicago's, you know, DIY scene is, you know, you find more camaraderie with people in that environment because, you know, you're all there for that, that purpose, right? And I don't think when you're in that environment, you have any other intentions of being there than to just enjoy it in the moment and connect with people on a, on a level like that, as opposed to, you know, trying to seek something more out of yeah. a relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Johannes for discussing his experience in the Umeå hardcore scene and his political activity as a young adult. In part two, we're joined by Mark Stromberg and dive into his and the subsequent generation's experience. A Spotify playlist companion for this series can be found in the episode notes. Our conversation with Johannes segued naturally into a wider discussion about Cult of Luna, Red Creek, the band's new record label, recent collaborations, and his creative process. We cover all this and more in episode 28. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.